we're uh, looking at the life of Moses, and we're going to be there for a little while. We'll take five weeks off for Bible study, and we'll take some time off for uh, Easter. But other than that, uh, you can, if you want, you can start reading through uh, Exodus. Uh, and, and, you know, if you just take one chapter a week to, to look at before Sunday, that'll help you. This morning, we're going to be in Exodus 2. Next week, we'll be in Exodus 3. And I'm not going to get to go through all of Exodus 2 this morning, but I'll, I'll, I'll read part of it and I'll tell you the rest of it. We looked last week at, at just an overview of the life of Moses, and we looked at his mom, Jochebed, and we talked about how she had this challenge of letting her child go and how difficult that was. But she had decided to focus on trusting God, and she trusted God, and God took care of Moses. And I talked a little bit, we're going to talk more about this morning, a little bit about Moses' life. What you probably need to understand, and we'll see this this morning, is that most of what you know about Moses is the last 40 years of his life. <clears throat> Often in the scripture, when we look at these Bible characters, we see kind of the highlights. But we don't see the, the, all of the other things. So one, one guy said it this way. He said, uh, God spends 40 years... Or, or Moses spends 40 years thinking he's somebody. Then he goes to the desert for 40 years and learns that he's nobody. And then the last 40 years of his life, he starts to realize what God can do with somebody who thinks they're nobody. And there's a lot to be said for that. And just like in the life of Christ, you know, we focus on really... Actually, when you look at the Gospels... The Gospels focus on mainly the last three years of Jesus, but it's really about the last 18 months of Jesus. There's 30 years of the life of Christ that's been in obscurity. And yet, there's a great lesson in that, and that's what we're going to see this morning. So this morning, we're going to, go, we're going to look at, the, we're going to look at, at, at Moses and Exodus chapter 2, and I want to encourage you, sometime grab your Bible this week uh, or bring it up on your app on your phone and uh, read Exodus chapter 2. Okay, and you'll, you'll maybe have a little bit different insight after this morning. So, here's what it says. One day, after Moses had grown up. Okay, here's what you need to understand. That little phrase right there, just encompassed 40 years. Okay, so we started with him in a baby in a basket, being drawn out of the water, being raised in Pharaoh's court. Verse 11 means 40 years later, okay, so let's just talk about that for a second so we have a good understanding. Forty years of being in Pharaoh's court. Forty years of being, really, the son of Pharaoh's daughter because well, we don't know if she married or not, but she would have brought him up as her own. Some people actually believe and will go so far as to say to prepare him for uh, the, the, to be the next Pharaoh, to prepare him to serve in the court, to prepare him to work his way up. So at whatever it was, here's what it means. For 40 years, Moses had the best of the best. He had the nicest car. He had the nicest transportation. He had the nicest clothes. He ate the best food. He had it all. Uh, and it was all at his beck and call. So Moses lived the high life. I mean, if there was any, there was any level of uh, expenses or riches or whatever else, that was the world that Moses lived in. Uh, he was surrounded by the nicest uh, implements to eat off of and to eat with. Uh, the nicest clothes, the nicest, everything, you know. He had it all for 40 years. 
That's what he had. And that's important to understand because you've got to realize at the end of his life, in the last 40 years of his life, he's going to have to go back into that court as a representative of God. And it's amazing that he's able to do that because he knows all the protocols. He knows what you're supposed to say and how you're supposed to say it, what can be said and what can't be said. He was brought up in that world. And notice what it says. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people. Now, wait a minute. He's been raised as an Egyptian. What's he doing out here? It's interesting because even though he was raised as an Egyptian, he identified with the people of God. And he said, those are my people. I'm a Hebrew. Uh, I'm, I'm about the Hebrew people. And it says he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So he's standing there in all of his pomp and circumstance and glory and everything else. He's standing there watching the Hebrews be mistreated. And notice what happens next. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Again, we keep coming back to this idea of one of his own people. But wait a minute. He was, he was an Egyptian. He was raised in Egypt. He was raised as son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he rejected all of that. He wanted to be identified with the people of God, not with the Egyptian world that he was brought up in. There's a great lesson for you and I in that. Which world do you want people to associate you with? The world of Christianity and Christ followers or the world that Satan controls and runs and, and, and is in charge of? He had a choice to make, and he said, I want to identify the people of God. So he goes out, and he sees an Egyptian beating one of his own people. Now, this is an interesting note right here. Notice what he does next. He looks this way and that. Does not say he looked up. That got him in trouble. He looked at what everybody else was going to say. He looked, and he's seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian. So he sees this happening, and I don't know how this plays out, but don't minimize how tough this would have been. At some point, he pulls this Egyptian away, so it's just him and the Egyptian. And he takes a look around, and he doesn't see anybody. And it says he kills the Egyptian. Now, this is pre-guns. So the only way you're going to kill somebody is physically with your bare hands or a sword or a knife. Or I don't know if, he, if the guy was whipping a, uh, the Hebrews and he took the, his whip and wrapped around his neck and, 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 and strangled him. I don't know how, but it had to be a bare hand kind of thing. And then notice what it says, and he hit him in the sand. Now, I never buried a human person. I have buried a large dog. And that is no easy task. So I don't know what he does. I don't know if he finds a trench and then starts moving sand over him. I don't know if he physically grabs a shovel and digs it out. But he buries and hides a human body in the sand. You know, don't, so again, you know, this idea of Moses being this meek, wimpy thing sometimes that people, no, no, he was trained as a warrior. 
In Pharaoh's court, he would have been trained in all of the combat arts. And he was able to take this man's life, an Egyptian who was a master over slaves. So I'm going to guess this, this guy was not some weak person. And because he was the kind of person that the Hebrews feared. And Moses takes his life and hides him in the sand. Notice what happens next, because the story goes on. And it says, the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. By the way, when you read Exodus 2, you're going to see this a lot. Moses wants to fight for the underdog. Okay? You see it in the story before. You're going to see it here. You're going to see it at Midian uh, when, when, when he comes across Zephora. Uh, the next day he goes out. He sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked one of them in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Hey, stop fighting. You're not supposed to do that. You guys are of the same race. You guys shouldn't be bickering and fighting among yourself. You shouldn't be going fist to fist. Notice what he says. The man said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Some people think that at this point in Moses' life, he knows that his job is to be a deliverer. And that's why he attacked the Egyptian, because he was trying to deliver the uh, Hebrews from, from mistreatment. And here he's jumping in again, getting involved in it again. So some people say, look at it and say, at this point in Moses' life, maybe God has somehow shown him what he's supposed to do or somehow it's been revealed to him. And so Moses is seeing himself as a deliverer. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Oops. Now I have a problem. Because I, as an Egyptian son of Pharaoh's daughter raised in the courts, has now gone out and sided against that which I've been brought up and been in favor of that which is your enemy, the Egyptians. Now I'm in trouble. And Moses knows that. Notice what he goes, what goes on to say in the next, next verse. Then Moses was afraid. And he thought, what I did must have become known. All of a sudden now, everybody knows. And it's just a matter of time. And it says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. The next story is just fascinating. You've got to read it for yourself. I'll give you the short version really, really quick. <clears throat> Moses is sitting at the well. Um, one of the priests who has uh, seven daughters, they come up to get some water. The shepherds drive them off. Moses steps in and pushes, the pushes the, the, them away. He then gives water to and helps them water their animals. And the girls go back. And, they, and Dad says, how come you're back so early? Normally this is a longer process of getting everything watered. And they tell him the story, and they look at him and go, well, where is this guy? Well, we left him back there. We'll go back and get him. So Moses, they go back. They drag Moses back there. Moses then hangs around and starts learning the shepherding thing and ends up marrying Zephorah, and they have a son by the name of Gershom. And that's how they, the, chapter 2 is going to end. 
with that. And so what, what, what you have is this, here's something to think about when you look at this story. Moses, who has spent all of the time for 40 years being wined and dined, having access to everything, is now alone by himself. I, I think one of the most fascinating things to me about this about the story is that when you find him at the at, at Midian at the well and the girls come up, Moses goes and serves them. That's probably the first time in Moses' life that he has served somebody else because up until now he has always been served. Up until now, it's always been all about Moses. And now, all of a sudden, Moses is this nobody. All of a sudden, now, Moses has no identity anymore. There's nobody cooking food for him and taking care of him. There's nobody waiting on him hand and foot. There's nobody uh, making sure that he has whatever he wants. He's alone. And I think there's something to be said for the next 40 years of Moses' life because that's what's going to happen with Moses. Moses is going to be in the desert for 40 years. 40 years of taking care of sheep. A guy who had it all, a guy who was at the top of the top of the top, is now walking around every day with animals. Taking care of animals. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but when you have been at the top, and now all of a sudden you're in obscurity, where nobody knows who you are, Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows where, where, anything about you. That's, that, that's a big jump. That's a big, big, big jump. So uh, just a couple of things as we, before we dive into just two real applications that I want to focus on. Um, one of the things I think you see in this story that gets Moses in trouble, Moses does the right thing. He stands up for the Hebrew people. Okay, He stands up against the... Egyptian, he stands up against the two Hebrews that are fighting. Uh, he does the right thing. And he does it at the right time because it needed to stop now. The problem with Moses is he doesn't do it in the right way. He looks around to make sure nobody else sees him, but he doesn't look up and say, okay, God, how do you want me to handle this? And I think there's a great lesson in that for you and I. A lot of times in life, you and I can do the right thing and we can even do it at the right time. But if we don't do it in the right way, it'll blow up on us. Uh, those of you who are married, you can say the right thing. And you can say it in the right way. But if you say it at the wrong time, you've got to get all three right. You see, do, do we need testimonies of this? You know? I mean, haven't we all done that? We've said the right thing maybe at the right time, and we've said it in the wrong way, or we, we've said maybe the right, right thing in the right way, but at the wrong time. You've got to get it all right in order for God to honor it and bless it. And that's what gets Moses in trouble. He does the right thing, and he does it at the right time, but he does it in the wrong way. And there's a great lesson for us as we go throughout this week, because you know, we're learning this in Sunday school. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. You know, think before you open your mouth. Ask yourself, 
Is what I'm going to say the right thing? Is it the right time? Am I going to say it in the right way? Get it all right. Okay? You got a problem with your boss? Right thing, right time, right way. Uh, you got a problem with your kids? Right thing, right time, right way. Got a problem with your spouse? Right time, right thing, right way. Get, you get the, the hint of the, this got Moses in trouble. Why? And by the way, you're going to see this later in the life of Moses. It gets him in trouble again. Because he wants to act and yet not, not, not think it through and do it in the right way. And, and that's important. So I think there's a lesson in there for it. Um, I, I think um, there's a lesson in here from Moses on the idea of, of, of he's passionate about the right things. He, he doesn't want to see people abused and mistreated. He wants to identify with the Hebrew people, not the Egyptian people. Um, and, and that's to be commended. I mean, even here, you know, even, in, even when he's at Midian and he's sitting there and, and his whole world has collapsed, he's sitting there and he's looking around and he sees these seven gals being mistreated. And you, you, a lot of you don't understand this, but when Christianity comes onto the scene, it revolutionizes the way women were looked at in culture. For the first time in history, in many cultures, women in the Christian world are actually elevated and put on an equal field when it comes to men and women. Because you need to understand, in this culture, like I say, for a group of women to be taking care of sheep and taking care of a flock, and they come up, it was nothing for a group of shepherds to come in and run them off and treat them as nothing. And Moses steps in and goes, wait a minute, this isn't happening on my watch. And I don't know how he did it, but he fends everybody off, and he makes sure they're taken care of, and then they can go do their thing. It's kind of like, they were here first, boys. This is the way you're going to do it now, because I'm here. And he treats them right, and he, he has that, that thing. That's why I think you can watch him go in against Pharaoh and say the things that he does, because he knows God's behind him. And, and there's an incredible power to go... You have been mistreating these people, and it is going to end on this watch. And so you, you see that kind of passion with him, which I think is a great thing for him. What I think, and I, one of the lessons I think that, that, that is important here is this idea of the desert for Moses. And we don't talk about it. I mean, we're, next week we're going to look at the burning bush. We're going, to go, we're going to skip 40 years of his life spent wandering around with sheep and critters in the desert. But you think about it for a minute. What would it be like to live in the desert for 40 years? Anybody want to sign up for that? Anybody want to go, yeah, that's what I want. God, put me in the desert for 40 years and give me a bunch of sheep to take care of. That would be great. That's my dream job. No. And I'm sure if you're Moses, year after year after year, you're thinking, what in the world am I doing here, God? This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't the way I planned it out. This isn't the way I thought everything should work. God is supposed to work this way. Because you see, what you find is there are desert times in your life. And sometimes it may last a good portion of your life. And you think that it ought to be differently because you, it's not what you signed up for. But God's got something bigger at play here. I mean, 
God needs this guy because you know what's going to happen? Because of the disobedience of Israel, they're going to wander for 40 years. And now, instead of taking care of sheep for 40 years, he's going to take care of people for 40 years in a wilderness. And the sheep were just, a, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are days Moses went, got up after the children of Israel had come out of, out, of, out of Egypt. I'm sure there are days that Moses got up and went, God, give me sheep. They are so much easier to take care of. You know, at least they don't whine and talk back. You know, at least they don't fight me at every turn. I mean, you know, I can, I can muscle them a little bit. But God had to spend some time so that Moses, and, and if you'll think about it for a minute, I mean, so Moses knew, how to, Moses knew how to take care of things in the desert. He spent 40 years in there figuring it out. So when it came time for him to help people in the desert, he had the resources to do it because he had the background to do it. So, you know, as we talk about it, a couple things for us as you head into this week. So, you know, because I want to get to the practical stuff. So here we go. Here's the first thing. What's it going to be this week, your way or God's way? Moses did the right thing, the right time, but he did it his way, not God's way. That'll get you in trouble this week. You go, well, I think my way's better. I, I get that. I get that. But this is a discussion my wife and I have all the time. You know, my way is better. Uh, you know, and, and, and she should know I'm not wrong in this. My way is better. It's just because it's my way. You know, and we go in round and round about this, you know. And, and, but it's that idea of we, we, we tend to get that way with God. God, my, I know what you say, but Lord, if, 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 if I handle this situation that way, it's not going to work out. Your way or God's way. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. But Lord, they don't understand forgiveness. I know. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. But Lord, you don't understand. If I'm nice to them, they'll take advantage of you. I know. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. All I'm asking you to do, you treat them the way I treat you. That's all I want from you. That's all I want you to do. And we keep going, oh, my way's better, my way's better, my way's better. It'll get you in trouble. It always does. You know, there are people who think when it comes to this issue of, of salvation, their way's better. You know, I just, this is what I believe. You know what? I, I'm glad that you believe that, but really it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what God says. You know? It matters what God says. If God says this is the way it is, then that's the way it is. Why well, just think that, you think whatever you want to think, but if God genuinely said that, that's the way it's going to be. You, it doesn't matter what you think. Your way or God's way, you have a choice to make. And for many of you like me, you've put your faith and trust in Christ, and you've said, I'm going to choose God's way. God says that I have to put my faith and trust in. That's what I'm going to do. And then you live life that way as well. God says this is the way I should handle people. This is the way I'm going to handle people. This is the way I approach my job. This is the way I approach my job. If I, I'm going to look at what God says, and that's, I'm going to try to do things the way God says to do things. Second issue is this. Um, and this is harder, because this is easy to say this is hard to do. I don't think you can enjoy the desert. And I think it's kind of hard to even embrace the desert. But I will say this. There are some things that you can only learn in the desert. 
When Moses finds himself at Midian, and for the next 40 years, one of the things that's going to happen in the life of Moses is Moses is going to learn how to serve. Moses is going to, for the first time in his life, learn how to take care of something else. In this case, a bunch of women come up to feed, to, to water their animals, and Moses serves them. Moses is eventually going to go to work, and all of a sudden now he's going to be in charge of sheep and taking care of things. And so for the first time now, Moses, who has been served for 40 years, now is going to learn how to serve. One of the things that I think happens in the desert time is you tend to look past you because you start to realize that um, a world about you gets really small. And so one of the things, one of the great lessons you can learn in the desert is to take your experience to help other people, to serve, to, to be outside of that. I think one of the lessons that you see in the desert, and, and I know this is something that I struggled with for a long time, is there's something to be said for obscurity. Of just nobody knows where you are or who you are or what you're doing. And, and, and most of you, 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 you don't know my world before this. But um, um, I was in a world where a lot of the people that I associated with um, went on to, I guess what you would, in the, and I put this in huge quotes, in the professional ministry world. Um, you know, I mean, two of my friends are presidents of, uh, of uh, colleges and seminaries. Um, you know, uh, I got a friend that, 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 that you know, pastored in large, one of the larger churches in Detroit. I mean, you know, I, that's the world that I was in. So to go from that world to this world where I don't ever see them, I don't ever talk to them, I don't ever communicate with them anymore, this world of quote-unquote obscurity, and you know what I found? I love this world so much. I don't want anything to do with that world, you know. My, you know, I, and again, I, I don't want to. I tell God I'm willing to go anywhere He wants me to go. But there's a lot of places I don't want to go, and the city is now one of them. And for those people who know me, that's like that's like, because it was it. Here's what I've started to realize: in this world here. There are things that that world can never, 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 ever give you. Because there's unique things about the world that God puts you in. And you can fight it. And you can always look for something else if you want. Or you can learn to thrive. I, I, one of my favorite pastor guys um, that, that I, I, I love his writing. I love his son. He, he Here's what he says. Bloom where you're planted. Wherever God puts you, make the best of it and bloom the best you can there. And, and, and I've learned there's a lot to that. And even though Moses is in the desert, he lets God use that and prepare him and get him ready for greater things. And some of you, that's what's happened. Your, your world has collapsed. The world as you thought or the world that you wanted has just kind of come caving in on you. Um... It's not what you wanted. It's not what you planned on. You kind of find yourself like Moses sitting in the side of a well going, what now? 
and you want it to get over quick because anytime we're going through desert times, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to get out of the desert. You know, especially us, you know, I mean, as Americans, you know, it's like, oh, it's too hot. I got to get in the air conditioning. Uh, you know, I, I got to get comfortable. And I, I get that. I, I'm, I'm that way. But the reality of it is there are some things that we can only learn in the desert. And if you will think back and be honest with yourself in your life, the most life-changing things that you have done in your life came out of desert experiences. They didn't come out of times of plenty and prosperity and everything going well and hunky-dory and everything else. I look at our life, you know, the, the, the most life-changing radical things that happened to to kind of galvanize and, 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 and mold us into what God has for us came out of those times. Do I want them? No. Would I sign up for them again? No. If they were the only way to get what comes out of that, then yeah, I probably would. That's the only way. You know, most of you know, I, I, I love, Josh, Josh and I both love this world of glass blowing, and I, it's kind of obsessive, but um, one of the things that you in this world that, that, that is frustrating to us right now is that um, we read everything we can on glass blowing. Okay? Um, I watched probably every YouTube video out there. I appreciate you sending them to me, but I've probably already seen them 10 times. Because uh, I, I literally, this is, I watch them because I watch the techniques and analyzing it and picking up tools and all kinds of stuff. Like, but here's something that we're learning about the world of glass blowing. I don't care how much you read, I don't care how much you watch. You have to do it. And every time you do it, there are successes and there's failures. Uh, you know, we got, to, we got to spend about five, six hours yesterday blowing glass. You know what? I got a whole shelf of successes and I got a whole shelf of failures. Why? Because that's the only way you learn it. And in life, the only way you learn certain things are going through those desert times. And Moses is able to do. All of the great things that you read about Moses, he's able to do because... There were 40 years in the desert. You go, well, I can't see. You know, I, you know, I don't see any end to this. You know, it's like my 40 years is never going to end until the day I die. But you don't know what God can do still with that 40 years and in that 40 years. In that time, you don't know what he has planned. That's what you see in the life of Moses. God uses him in the end in a great way, but only because 40 years in the desert. And so I, I want to challenge you. Some of you are struggling. It's like, I don't understand why God would do this. Why, why, why won't God get me out of this? Why won't God make it easier? Why won't God do this? Why I don't know either. But here's what I do know. He's God. You're not. He knows the future. You don't. That's what I do know. And when I look at my life, I can only speak for me. And gee. He hasn't let us down yet. He's used us. He continues to use us in spite of us. And so you know what? I just need to trust him. And when the desert times come, I learn what he has to teach me. I try to embrace, I try to, try to, try to make the best of it as I go through it. But I realize he has something bigger at play. And, you know, you're going to see this. I mean, you're going to see this next week. You know, when God finally steps in and says, okay, Moses, now's the time. And Moses goes, I'm not your guy. I have, 
I am not your guy. You got to go. You go get somebody else. That's not me. Because after 40 years, Moses is, I think, he's got the attitude of, you know, I, I, I honestly, I think it's probably part of it is, I think let's just stick with sheep. This is good. You know, this is good. And so I just want to challenge because I know some of you are struggling. I mean, you're, you know, you're going through some of those desert times where you've had some, some things that have happened in your life, and it's like, what in the world is God doing? I don't know, but here's what I know. He doesn't make mistakes. And his plan is best. And he's got some, something far bigger in play than you and I could ever imagine. So I end this morning with this. You've got to learn to do the right things in the right way at the right time in order to honor God. Choosing your way often ends in difficulty. God uses difficulty in desert times to teach us valuable lessons for life. In hardship, we value humility, obscurity, and it forces us to turn our focus back to God. While no one enjoys the desert time, they're essential to a life that God uses and honors. I like the way Rick Warren has said it. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. Um, and if you know the story of Rick Warren, it's interesting. He said that before he lost his son. God can use it all. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for those of us that have a tendency to not get the right time, the right way, the right thing all in line, Lord, help us this week. Lord, we want to honor you. We want, to, we want people to see Christ on us, so help us to do that so that we can be effective in you using us. Lord, for those who are going through some really deep water, it's not, it's not what they wanted. It's not what they had planned. It's not the world that they had imagined, but Lord, it is a world that you have put them in. You have allowed them to be in. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. Lord, during this time, would you draw them close to you? Would you draw them close, Lord, to other people that they can help and serve and minister to? Lord, would you help them to understand that in the obscurity of what they're going through, that Lord, um, you have not abandoned them, you have not forsaken them, but Lord, you are right there through all of it. So help each of us, Lord, to, to learn to trust more, to learn to see you in any situation that we find ourselves in, and uh, be honored and glorified with what we do this week. These things we ask in your name.